Thursday night uh, prayer get gathering. Our prophetic prayer, prayer gathering is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. We want you to come out. Uh, it's growing. Uh, we're, we're grateful to see all the people that are coming. Uh, it's wonderful, new people as well. Um, you know, my house, Jesus said, shall be called a house of prayer. And so the, the number one thing is not praise and worship. Number one thing is not us gathering together just to fellowship and hear a nice Bible message. The number one thing is prayer, getting in contact with the Almighty. Somebody say amen. And so we do that once a month on Thursdays, and the Lord uses us prophetically. I want to share this with you uh, before we get into the message this morning, which I'm excited about. Um, this was a prophecy that was given September 1st, uh, so the 1st of September, this year, and here's what the Lord said. This is what it says. I hear the voice of my saints, says the Lord. I've heard the battle cry throughout the generations. I've heard the faith of my people, and my response is coming swiftly, says your king. I long to hear your voices, bold, passionate, filled with belief, strong and tender. This is my greatest joy. And now is the time that I will respond to the request of my children, not just in this generation, but throughout your generations. There was a people before you, and they cried out to see your day. There was a people who stood and prophesied in the very day that you dwell in, and they never saw that day. Oh, I blessed them, and they received their reward, but they spoke in times of old by faith, and it pleased me that they interceded for you, and they did not know it. Now I tell you, I will not hold back what I have planned for this day, and you shall partake in it, says the Lord. Pick up your skirts and run for the hills, says the Lord, for I'm sending the rain. Yes, the latter rain, and I will pour out from my heaven, and it will pour out upon the land and wash through the streets of your cities and nations, says the king. Church, I am responding now to the prayers of my saints, the saints of old and the saints of today. Therefore, I'm sending the former and the latter rain. Can you feel the wind blowing? Can you see the clouds forming? Can you feel the atmosphere changing? Can you smell the rain as it swells up in the darkness of the clouds? Here it comes. Here it comes. Every valley and dry creek and riverbed shall be filled and flowing again. Pray, church. Pray that my church that is dry and dusty be filled once again with the flowing of my outpouring upon them, for it shall come, says the Lord. How many believe that's happening? Now, now, that was September 1st, okay? I forgot all about it, to be honest with you. Then someone reminded me about it, and I looked it back up. September 28th, everybody say September 28th. Something, a little storm called Hurricane Ian, or Ian rather. It happens to be the biggest storm on record that Florida's ever been hit with, on, on record. Happens on September 28th, right in the middle of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. By accident, you say? I don't think so at all. In fact, I'm looking at this prophecy and go, oh, Lord, you're, kind of, you're speaking to us here. I looked it up. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. I looked it up, and there, the, the newspaper read 22 inches of rain fell in 36 hours. And the report was Florida got, watch this, they got as much rain as they would get in all of September and all of October and the word that God said, I will send rain, the latter rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Somebody say amen. I believe that's a sign from heaven and a sign from God. 1 Corinthians 15, 46 says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, 
and afterward, the spiritual. Did you all hear me on that? That means God gives us signs and wonders to be able to what? Confirm his word. If that's the truth, and we know that it is, the greatest storm that's ever hit Florida in history, in its record, in the time of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the time that God said in the first month, I will send both the former and the latter rain. We see that confirmed as well, even in the natural, then we can suspect that God's going to fulfill the word that he gave, which was what? I'm going to answer and respond to the prayers of the former saints and the saints of today. Come on. And I will do it swiftly. Come on, somebody. Y'all awake out there or what? Come on. I want to hear some rejoicing in the house. Some celebration. All you quiet people make us work twice as hard. Church, I feel a shift taking place in the spirit as it concerns his church and the people of God. And I believe that God is preparing us for a new day. In fact, that seemed to be the theme that God was saying on this Thursday. There was a word that came forth as well. You got to come, get those words. Uh, now and again, when they, they, they seem to come to pass, we'll bring them to you. But um, another word came forth on Thursday night. And, um, and by the way, I'm halfway thinking, y'all have to help me with this one. I'm halfway thinking of taking it off the air live. We have more people here than we actually have people watching it. Because people, when it comes to prayer, man, they just don't get involved. It's, guess it's just too boring. To me, that's where the life is. That's where, that's where you plug into the power of God, right? So I'm halfway thinking, going, I don't know that we need to be putting this out there because... I'm glad that those people that were watching were watching, but my God, if they driving distance, get here. Praise God. And uh, you can experience that, but, but pray with me about that. I don't want to be too rash. Praise the Lord. We are completing a prophetic cycle today called atonement. And at the end of the service, we're going to give both our regular tithes and offerings, and then we're going to give our atonement offering that you were to be praying about. And it's scriptural. It's, we find it in the word of God, the atonement offering. And uh, so we'll do that all together at the end, and then we're going to celebrate it. We're, gonna, we're not going to come mourning. In fact, you're going to find that God commands this season to be a season of rejoicing and celebration. We're now moving into a new season on God's seasonal calendar that I believe is going to excite you as well as challenge you, and it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Father, we love you so very much, and thank you, Lord, for your anointing felt in this place. There's great expectation in this house, Lord God. There's a people that sit before me that are hungry, Lord, and they're thirsty to learn from you and learn from your word and to glean the revelation that they need. I pray, Holy Spirit, because you are present, that every single man and woman and teenager, child, everybody would get what they need today, I pray, by your spirit, that eyes would be opened, Lord God, that we would never be the same again, and that you would anoint me to speak those words, I pray in Jesus' precious name, and the church that believed this said, amen. Let me give you just a brief recap, and it's going to be teaching today, a brief recap of what we learned about the Feast of Trumpets. We just came out of that. And uh, today marks, uh, actually marks the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want us to look at Joel chapter 2. When we 
Talk about Joel chapter 2. Just keep this in mind that anytime you go to Joel chapter 2, although it can be applied to your life today, and it's true in different ways, but it really is speaking of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. That's the whole chapter. It's all about that. And it talks about the instructions of what to do, and then it talks about what you can expect, the blessing of God that comes upon God's people. We found there are at least seven blessings that come upon us in this season. And I also want you to remember that Rosh Hashanah means what? It means the head or the head of the year, or also means the new year, beginning of the new year. So we said that last week we were saying Happy New Year because on God, God's seasonal calendar, his calendar, not ours, which is the Gregorian calendar, but on his heavenly calendar, um, it, is, it is Rosh Hashanah, which means this is his brand new season. So God gives us a new opportunity in the, in the seventh month. Why the seventh month? And we say, well, it's not the seventh month. This would be considered the tenth month, but really it's not. Uh, because remember, God counts, the, he has two new years, one's Passover, one's atonement. Passover happens in the spring of the year, which was seven months ago, if that makes sense to you. So you can count it by that cycle. And so um, we found out also that feast means uh, uh, appointed times or God's appointment with his people. Many times you make an appointment with God when you pray, but this is God making an appointment with you. This is his appointment with his people. It marks also the 10 days of awe that we see the awesome wonders of God and miracles. Uh, it's a time of introspection and repentance. God requires that of us to make things right. It's a time of making God your priority again. Now, he should be every day, but it's like God sends forth grace because, and this is what I wanted to say too because I, I think it might get confusing. When I talk about God offering an opportunity for you to repent, how many knows that's 365 days a year? That's not just this moment. What, what, it, what God is doing here is he's saying, hey, I know some of you have not repented before me. You're still dealing with sin before you go into the new year because the way you leave is how you'll enter. Before you go in through the new door into the new year, I need you to deal with your sin. We gotta get it under my, my son's blood and it's gotta be forgiven to walk in. Remember when um, it was, uh, it was uh, Cain and Abel and Cain gave a poor sacrifice, Abel gave the right one, Cain became jealous with his brother. We know the story, he murdered his brother. And so, um, and when he gave that sacrifice uh, to the Lord, his, his offering to the Lord, um, uh, God spoke to him and said, Cain, deal with what's in your heart. He goes, he, watch this, he goes, for sin lies at the door. So in other words, before you go into the next chapter of your life through the door, you got to deal with the sin that you're currently involved in. So it's not to say you can't ask God to forgive you any other day. Of course you can. His blood is flowing every day. His mercy is, is, is new every morning. But it's saying before you move into this next season, you got to make me a priority again. you got to get back. you got to get things under the blood. And it's also a time where God places you in the future above or ahead of the world by at least three months. Did you, did you follow me on that? So by three months, at least, you're ahead in the future because the rest of the world will celebrate the new year, January 1. You're doing it now. So God is causing you to be ahead of everybody else. I love that part. All right, let's look at, let's look at Joel chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Everybody say it together. Blow the trumpet in Zion. What's that speaking of? The Feast of Trumpets, which is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain, the church. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble 
for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Now recognize that Joel's a prophet. He's speaking uh, hundreds of years before Christ would come. Christ came as a little baby. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. He came as a little baby. So this prophecy was fulfilled once Christ came. But this, this prophecy has a dual purpose because it's also speaking of the second coming of Christ. Do you all understand that? So it, he came. It's, it's talking about the day of the Lord. So when Jesus came, Jesus had to be born during the Feast of Trumpets where the trumpet would be blown. When he comes back, when he returns, Jesus is coming back during when? The Feast of Trumpets trumpets. When do you get that? Where do you get that? Well, we have Joel chapter 2, but we also have it established in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And it says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is speaking of the second coming. So Jesus comes with the trumpet blast when he's born, and he comes back with the trumpet blast when he returns to earth again for you and me. Amen. We don't know the day or the hour. I'd be a liar if I told you I did because nobody knows, not even the son, but the father only, but we can, Bible says, know the times and the seasons. Okay. All right, let's look at Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. This is the instruction during this season. Get back to me. I need your heart. With what? Fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So watch this, rend your heart and not your garments. In those days, there were professional mourners that would rend their garments, throw ashes in the air, put sackcloth on, uh, and they would, they would do it as a, a symbolic gesture. And God says, I don't want a symbolic gesture. I want your heart to be so for me that it breaks because of the things you know are not right in your life. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and he's merciful and he's slow to anger and of his great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. He turns away. In other words, I was going to judge you, but because I've seen your heart, I'm going to pull away from what I said I'd do. Who knows? Everybody say, who knows? Who knows if he, God, will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering uh, for the Lord your God. Here's what it says in the message translation. Listen to this. Uh, I hope they got it up. They did. But there's, there's also this. It's not too late. God's personal message. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping. Sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. I love how he says, God, your God. God's not, he's not changed his mind. You're still his people. And, you're, and he is your God. And, the, and here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath and puts up with a lot. This most patient God, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust for you. Who knows that the things you've been dealing with year after year, month after month, that God's going to say enough is enough. It's now time to be free of this thing in your life. Who knows? I tell you who does know. God knows, that's for sure. And some of you have been struggling with things for years. You've been dealing with all kinds of this just 
problems and situations and, uh, and, and things and, and, and having uh, bad situation after situation. Some of you have been struggling with generational curses in your life. And it's been a very difficult season in your life. And I'm telling you, God's got so much more for you. But, but he says in this season is a time now that we're going to go from one, mo- mo- one time frame to another. We're moving 57 in the Hebrew calendar, 5782 to 5783. We're going through a new door of opportunity. I want you to leave that old stuff behind. I want to deal with it once and for all in your life. And all I'm asking you to do, you can't change you, but what you can do is turn to me and I'll do the rest. Let me fight for you. Look over Leviticus chapter 23. We'll put it on the screen, verse 39. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, and you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. This feast of tabernacles is a feast for seven days. Remember, feast is an appointment. So it's an appointment God has with us for seven days. And the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, remember the eighth day, Coming back to that. On the eighth day will be a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, bowls of leafy uh, trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall what, church? Oh, say it like you mean it. He says to us, he doesn't say when you get around to it, if you feel like it. He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to put away these seven days for me. And during the seven days, you are to rejoice, get excited, get happy before the Lord your God for seven days. I don't want you crying. I don't want you belly aching. I don't want you worrying about your problems, your kids, your circumstances, your money. I want you to get excited. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You shall keep it. You shall do it as a feast, as an appointment of the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. This is called a walk of faith. It is you saying, Lord, I'm not going to concern myself any longer with what I've been going through. I'm not going to be sad. I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to spit and I'm not going to cry no more about it. I'm going to just by faith get up for these next seven days and I'm going to thank you that you're the God of heaven, that you see all, know all, and that I'm your child and you're going to take care of me. Why? I turn my life back to you. I'm not going my own direction. I'm going the direction of you, oh God. Everybody say, turn it around. I dare 10 people to get up out of your seat and just one, two, three. Turn, come on. One, two, three. Turn it around. Now give the Lord a shout. I have never, ever taught on tabernacles. Always wanted to, just never got there. And I begin to study this thing, and I'm going, oh my God, I, I can't, this revelation begin to flow. Wait till you hear the rest. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 14. And you shall rejoice. Not if, not maybe. You are commanded to rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Everybody in the house. Seven days you shall keep us. I said everybody in the house. 
Don't let your teenagers mope around. Make them rejoice with you. Rejoice. Rejoice. God will give you creative ways. I promise you, he will. And um, seven days, uh, you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you. He'll empower you to prosper in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you shall surely rejoice. So we're supposed to be getting excited over what? I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Over what? Over the harvest that is to come. I'll come back to that. He gives us instructions. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. That's Passover, that's Pentecost, and that's Atonement Season. That's where we're at right now. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Today, we're going to give our atonement offering. You should have been in prayer about it, ready to go. No one's going to tell you what to give. Hear God, just be obedient to what God says. We don't come before God empty-handed. We don't go, God, I want, I want, I want, I want, and then not do what he asked us to do. Supply for what? His mission, his ministry. That's what it was given for, right? To the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Again, I never saw the tie-in between what? between the, 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 um, uh, the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. But it's a beautiful tie-in. Both are speaking the same. They just flow from one thing to the next, right? All right, let's, 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 let's look at some of the names for the Feast of Tabernacles uh, so you don't get confused in the future when you're reading in the Bible. Uh, number one is the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H, Booths. I heard one preacher say one time, he kept saying booze. I said, it ain't even Halloween. Why do you say booze, booze? Booths, T-H, amen? And so that's what it's called. A tabernacle and a booth carry the same concept. It's speaking the same thing. The Hebrew word for booth is sukkot. And that, that's just all that translates to is booth or tabernacle. Other names for the Feast of uh, uh, Tabernacle is what? Is one, the Feast of Ingathering. Ingathering what? The harvest, all right? The season of, it also means this, it is the season of our joy, so we talk about the, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. It means the season of our joy. What, what's the joy? To see the fruit of our labor. To see the, to see the, to see the, the uh, fruit of our sowing. Also, it means the Feast of Nations. So God would say, I want my people to represent all the rest of the nations of the world. So the tabernacle is symbolic here, meaning booths. In other words, it's an enclosure uh, for God and man to dwell together. Does that sound familiar? In the sense that the Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what happens? He said, I and the Father will come in you. We will dwell in you. Does it make sense? We, we say that we receive Christ, that you are now, know you not, that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so we see uh, how the old is tying in the new together. And then Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For this reason, I, I, I will not uh, be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. Interesting verbiage. I'm in this tent stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my 
deceased after I'm dead and gone. So what is Peter's tent? His tent is his body. Some tents are more roomy than others, praise God. But it means the same thing, body. Everybody say my body. Okay, it also means his temple. No, you're not, it's your temple of the Holy Spirit. It also, tent also could be mean his tabernacle because those words are used interchangeably or what the, the early Hebrews would call a booth. So what's the meaning here? God is making you aware of your mortality and your spirituality. He's making you aware that you're not going to be on this planet forever. The tent is going to die, but you will live forever. Amen? You are not the booth. You are a spirit housed in a booth or a body, and one day you will shed the booth or the body. Here, uh, they, I probably need to explain about the booths here in the Jewish custom because it began in the wilderness when they were out there that God said, all right, here's what I want you to do. This time of year, after the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, I want you to make for yourself a booth, an enclosure, a small house, and there you will spend seven days. Everybody goes into the booths for seven days, and there you're going to rejoice, and you're going to celebrate, and you're going to eat, and you have a good time in close proximity with family, and then after that, there'll be an eighth day, which will be a rest, and then the harvest is going to come. I want you to trust me. Every single thing the, Israeli, the, the, um, the, the Israelites did in the wilderness, they had to trust God for their food, for their water, for uh, being cooled down during the day and being heated up at night. Their clothes, they had to trust God 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. Look at the women. They're going, that's a curse. I want new clothes. But that's a miracle, right? The clothes and shoes never wore out. There was none feeble among them. Everybody was taken care of because God said, I want to be your God. I want to be your king. I want you to trust me. So the booths, miracles happen with the harvest. That's God's business. But in the booth, you're trusting God, right? So as long as I'm in my tent, come on, somebody, in this earth, God's expecting me to walk by faith and not by sight everywhere I go. But in this time of year is the time he gets ready to bring the harvest. By the way, harvest does not come every day of your life. You don't get an answer prayer every day of your life. There are moments God chooses to answer prayer. This is what he does. That's up to him. Our job is to believe him. Amen? So God commanded during this time of year to live in booths for seven days. God's people were to be reminded during this time that God had protected them, God had provided for them, and God had all healed them in their bodies. And then they were told to do this on a yearly basis. What's God showing us today? God is showing us that life is fragile. Life is precious. Life is here today. It's gone tomorrow. And that's what Peter's also relaying to us as well. So we have to do it God's way if we're going to have a life that is successful in him. All right, look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, please. Verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, talking about your body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You don't just die and you cease to exist. The body might, but you live forever and forever. And for those who have lost loved ones, this ought to give you hope right here that your lost loved ones are, they're not lost at all. They're right now walking in the streets of gold. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. All right. So once again, 
This becomes a time of celebration. The celebration of life that God has given us. The celebration of how good and faithful our God is. The celebration of the harvest that is to come into our life. It is a time to rejoice and to get excited. All right. Here's another important confirmation of this. Moses' tabernacle, okay, Remember, Moses was one who was instructed to build the first tabernacle, right? It was made of badger skin, and it was looking like a tent structure, but uh, it, would, it would have not been something that would have been a beautiful structure at all. And in it, they would put the uh, Ark of the Covenant uh, that had Aaron's uh, rod that budded. It would have some manna in there, and it would have the Ten Commandments that were in there. Um, and, and, of course, you had the inner court and the outer court. It was, a, it was, a look, it was to be the first type of um, prototype of the temple, but in a smaller fashion. It was just made of badger skin. It was a tent. So Moses' tabernacle was completed exactly during the Feast of Tabernacles. I did not know that. So when the Feast of Tabernacles had ended, on the eighth day, the tabernacle had been built. Moses was given instruction to build it during that time frame. Great confirmation. Uh, In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, we read that Solomon's temple, that he built under the instruction of God, was started, was started to be built on the Feast of Tabernacles one year and completed and dedicated on the Feast of Tabernacles another year. So it was started and finished during the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, God's timing, for me, I love because it's always exact, it's always precise, and it's always important. Somebody say amen. His seasons are perfection. It's absolute perfection. Another confirmation of the Feast of Tabernacles, um, its prophetic importance for us today, is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. This starts to get kind of heavy. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes began, became shining, uh, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses. They were long dead, but they showed up on the mountain in front of Peter, James, and John, okay? Then Peter, uh, they started talking with Jesus, this Elijah and Moses, and then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, right? Then he goes, it goes on to say, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for, he, for they were greatly afraid. So in other words, Peter just opened his mouth. He had to say something, and he out comes, I'm gonna, we need to make three tabernacles. Why did he say that? Because when you study the season that it happened in, it happened during the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody in town was making booths. So he just felt like it's the right thing to do. Let's make a booth for every single one of us, and, and, and it'll be good in the sight of God. Of course, God goes on to say, in the rest of the verse, he says, in a voice cloud came out of heaven, overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, it's higher. Jesus is of a higher authority than anything I tell you to do, right? Now, I want you to, I want you to notice something here. Again, Jesus is now showing himself in his glorified state. He's now talking to saints of old that have come to commune with. Whatever they talked about, we don't know. But what's interesting are the people that came back. It was Moses and Elijah. Moses is always going to representation 
of the, uh, of the manifestation of the word. Because Moses came to bring the word of God down from Mount Sinai to the people, the law of God, the statutes of God, the ordinances of God. He was the word man, logos. Whatever the book says, that's what we're supposed to do. It's an instruction. We must believe it and do it. Someone say amen to that. Elijah's different. Elijah is the prophetic word of God. Amen. If you have too much of the logos word of God, you're going to get legalistic, judgmental, and point fingers. But you still need it. It's got to happen. That's why you always mingle it with the spirit of God, not just logos, which is intended to be read and, and to be laid out and for you to do, but also to be done by the spirit. And Elijah was the, had the prophetic word of God. It's like saying, yes, um, this is what God says to do. And then it's backed by what God said in his word. So he brings the two together, right? Jesus, watch this. Jesus is the revelation of the word of God. <laughs> Y'all didn't hear me. It's a little deep, but I think you get what I'm trying to say. So this is what God's saying. And at the same time, watch this, it happens at tabernacles. What does that say to you and me? That tells me that God's going to give us a fresh word from heaven. That God's going to give us a prophetic word, something that the Bible don't say, but God gives a special instruction to you and me for us to carry out. Somebody say amen. And that Jesus, God, is going to reveal himself in a brand new way in a new year to you. How many is ready for some new revelation? So Mark 9 here was during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Amen. I'd also like to point out that many theologians believe that Jesus was born on Tishri 15. Okay? Very possibly they believe on the very first day of Tabernacles. But by and large, all believe, not all, many believe that it's in the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. That would mean, ooh, this is good that Jesus would have had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary during Hanukkah. Hanukkah means what? The festival of lights. So when, <laughs> so when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit during the festival of light, God was saying, and the light of the world has come into the earth. <laughs> Jesus is the light of the world, amen. And when Jesus was born, y'all got it. Are y'all ready? Put your spiritual seatbelt on. Click it or tick it. Come on, somebody. Get ready. Don't run out on me. Listen to this. When Jesus was going to get you excited. Ooh, when Jesus was born, the Bible says he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. All my life. Never studied that. Didn't think I had to. Jesus was born in swaddling clothes. I'm thinking swaddling clothes just being clothes that are close, you know, you know that, that fit you tightly, you know, like they swaddle a baby today, right? No, no, no. Much more than that. Oh, so much more than that. I thought it was just that. But swaddling clothes were remnants from the garments of the priests in the tabernacle or the temple. So when the priest's garment had been worn out, they would cut them into pieces or into strips, everything God used. They'd walk in and out of the presence of God with that. They'd walk in and out sacrificing to God with that. Everything got used. And they would take the worn out priestly garments, cut them into strips, put them on the end of sticks, make them into wicks, and then they would use those to light the lantern of God or light the candles of God in the temple of God. Again, the light of the world. Now watch this. So Jesus was wrapped 
in, in swaddling clothes, which had to come from a priest. So keep in mind that these priests also wore white linen that were, the, that, that, that when the priests went out, their main responsibility was to offer sacrifices to the Lord. In fact, in the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would offer 70 bowls, representing 70 nations at that time, uh, of the world um, at the time of tabernacles, which means there would have been blood stains all over their white linen. They'd wash those, those robes, but they still had the stains on them. Come on, somebody say amen. So now then, I looked at it, I thought, well, Lord, I started asking the question, I'm studying this. I'm studying all this. And I go, I ask the question, well, how in the world would Mary get those clothes? And then it answered my question, praise God. Where did Mary get these swaddling clothes? Zechariah, oh, y'all don't want to hear this, was the high priest in Israel that day that was married to a woman named Elizabeth that gave birth to a son by the name of John the Baptist. Elizabeth happened to be the cousin to Mary. Mary was also of the bloodline of Aaron, the first high priest ever to be on planet Earth. And so obviously she got the swaddling clothes through Elizabeth, her cousin, that were washing the clothes for the priest. Woo! Keep in mind that they were blood-stained garments Stained with the atonement offering of Israel. How important is the atonement offering? I still believe it's the same today. God still has expectation. So on the first day of tabernacles, Jesus is wrapped in the blood-stained clothes of the priest. Now on the eighth day, because seven days you rejoice, on the eighth day you rested, but on the eighth day that Jesus was born in the time of tabernacles, what happens on the eighth day for the male children? They got circumcised. So when they got circumcised, it's what? The cutting away of the, the foreskin in order for what? To be a sign of the covenant of Abraham. What happens when you cut somebody's skin? It bleeds. So now you have the blood of the priest before and you got the blood of the great high priest right there in the swaddling clothes lying in the manger. Come on, somebody. Jesus sheds his blood. Whew. I got more. I'm trying to figure out how to say it all. Okay. Jesus, you read it for yourself in the word. They bring a woman before him who's caught in the very act of adultery. These men. Where's Jesus? The Bible said he's in the temple. When they come to him, the Bible says, they said, this woman's been called very adultery. Our law says to stone her, what do you say? They tried to trick him. The Bible says he knelt down, stooped down, and with his finger began to write into the dirt. Forever and a day, I thought Jesus was outside of the temple. Makes sense. Because the temple has marble floors. Read it, study it. Slabs of marble. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, and Jesus was in the temple, and they brought her to him. Jewish tradition, they understood, understand, that when they built the temple, they took a cubit by cubit place in the temple out of the marble floor and they 
they would close, it was basically a door and it would, they would be able to pull it off when they needed to and put it back on. You wouldn't notice it. It's just like a flat floor, but it was able to be moved. It was mobile. And that marble, that door would open up to the ground that was beneath it, which would be the dirt. Jewish tradition and custom was if a woman and sometimes a man was so-called caught or would be thought to be in a place of adultery that they would take her before the priest in the temple and they would go to that cubit by cubit place and they would take dirt from the ground from underneath the temple and they would mix it with water. They'd stir it up and they'd force the person that's accused to drink it. If they were guilty, they'd die within 24 hours. But if they were not guilty, they would live. And of course, there would be no harm done to them whatsoever. And they would be exonerated from all charges. Spooky? Yes. But there's some weird stuff that happens like that sometimes. They used to believe that the ephod would glow as well. The sun hit a certain kind of way, it would glow. And they would tell them that you go into a battle or not. Not necessarily God's way, but that's the way that they were, they were that's just their tradition. And so... They bring Jesus, not outside the temple, but in the temple. He goes to where the cubit by cubit door is, opens it up, stoops down, and begins to not take the dirt out, begins to write. We don't know what he wrote, but many believe he began to write the names of the accusers down and their sins. Because the Bible says, one by one, as he wrote, they dropped their weapon, their rocks, and they walked away. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? She said, there are none, Lord. He says, go and sin no more. What happens? This all happens at the time of tabernacles where he's reaching into the temple floor where it should be the judgment of God, but instead it's the mercy of God. It's the forgiveness of God. It's the grace of God. With a responsibility, go and sin no more. Don't keep on sinning. Deal with your sin. Get it right. Get it under the blood. But it's a time of celebration because your sin can be exonerated and forgiven and you have no more accusers in your life. Somebody say amen. I want to do this right now. I feel this is the time to do it. I'm going to call for the team to come back up. We're going to pray. We're going to play something exuberant, fun, probably something we did already. And we're going to we're going to we're going to rejoice in this place. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to receive our offering. Praise God! And we're going to come, and you're going to bring both your tithe offering and your atonement offering uh, here to this platform. Or you can do it. Uh, you can do it. You know, in your chair with your seat. However you do it. However, by the way, let me just say this too while they're getting prepared. Um, those are online. You can do it this way. You can give online. There's an atonement offering button. Just hit that. I know people that can't be with us today, so they'll do it online. But you too, you want to do it that way, you can do it here. Just go to the atonement so you can hit your tithe and offering. It'll be one transaction, but the money will go where it's supposed to go, and it will be accounted for. Otherwise, there's an uh, envelope in front of you, one of the chairs in front of you, and it says other. So you put your normal tithe and offering in there, but then it says other. In the other spot, just write down atonement, Right? And the, the amount, and then that money will go where it's supposed to go. We're going we're gonna to take some of that money, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, do some um, painting in this facility, which needs to have, hasn't been painted since 2007. So we're going to actually do something with it. We're going to take care of God's house. Amen? 
So thousands are going to come in. We're going to have enough money to do all that, take care of that. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful to God for that. But this is the time we don't come before God empty-handed, church. Don't look at me like that. You look at me like, I ain't doing, you don't do anything. I'm just saying, I am. I'm going to make sure, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The amount is between you and God. Amen? The amount is between you and God. But the truth of the matter is, don't come before him empty. That's not what we do. We got to respond to God. So the further of the mission this house can go forward, yes, but also the blessing of God will be upon your life. Forgiveness, repentance, um, um, obedience, offering, these are the things that we do moving into the new season of our lives. Amen? And this next seven days, we're going to rejoice. We're going to not worry we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And the eighth day, we're going to just give him thanks that it's done. Amen. Someone says, well, pastor, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared to give today. You got seven, eight more days. Come on. You can get it in the next week, whatever. But don't not do it. Make sure you're praying and asking God. Amen. Okay, y'all got something fun we're going to do? Okay, something fun we're going to do? And then uh, what else uh, I want to say? I say, well, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Praise God. They'll lead us in. And after the song, we're going to give. So let's praise and worship God. Come on.